0: example times in your life where you've done things where you've gone into a unique situation examples i give are going to a worship in a faith that's different than from your own first day on a new job Mm -hmm. or going to spend the weekend with your future (laughs) in-laws and how painful each of those can be as you walk into the room because you're not a member of the group and you don't really know what the rules are If, if that were to be a hospitable situation someone would step forward and say, hey, let me be your guide. Let me walk alongside you during this experience. Mm. Let me teach you the rules of this setting. Yeah. yeah, And I think that's what faculty can do with students.
1: I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with our co-host for today, Mike Jones. Hi, Mike. Hello,
2: Tiffany. Hello. I am so glad that Brad is dealing with incarceration right now and can't be a part of this show. Oh, wait a second. Who is our guest today?
1: It's Brad, Mike.
2: Oh, that's right. That's right.
1: Our typical co-host, Brad Garner, is joining us today on Digital to Learn, and it is great to have you here, Brad.
2: Brad Garner serves as digital learning scholar in residence at Indiana Wesleyan University. Before moving into higher education, his career was focused on program and faculty development in K-12 public school settings, where he worked as a classroom teacher, school psychologist, and administrator. During his time in higher education, he has thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to engage with students in classroom and online settings. His most recent research activity has focused on the use of digital technology to promote learning. Brad is a frequent presenter at conferences and workshops and has authored several publications, including Engaged Learners and Digital Citizens in 2016, Teaching Students to Become Digital Content Curators in 2019, and Inclusive Hospitality in Online Teaching, Design, Deliver, and Discover, scheduled to hit the market in 2024. He is the editor of eSource, a publication of the National Resource Center for the First Year Experience and Students in Transition, and serves on the editorial board of the Advances in Online Education Journal. Our longtime listeners will also know that Brad is the co-host of the Digital to Learn podcast. However, today, we welcome him as our guest. Welcome to the show, Brad.
0: Glad to be here. And I'm going to say something that I've waited my whole life to say. Long-time listener, first-time caller.
2: Hey, (laughs) welcome. Welcome to the show.
1: Brad is always working on numerous projects at once, but one of his latest projects is on a publication on Inclusive Hospitality, which we're all geared up to explore today with you. Happy to be able to share that work. But first, we want to make this... Painfully uncomfortable for Brad, so we gave him no notice of the getting to know you questions that we're going to ask him today. So let's we'll see how nice we're feeling. Mike, you want to kick us off?
2: Absolutely, I love throwing stumpers at him. I think he'll actually find those one pretty easy. So one thing we do a lot when we're in our team meetings, and just in general, it happens to me all the time because I work in film and video. I get asked all the time what my favorite movie is, and Brad shares his movie suggestions with us all the time. TV shows, movies. But a less often asked question is what is the worst movie you've seen that was so bad it was good? Or have you ever walked out of a movie? And if so, what was it and why would you walk out?
0: Actually, I think I was watching one of the worst movies I've ever seen last night. (laughs) I go on Netflix and Amazon Prime and all those places. And there are so many movies to choose from. And certain titles keep popping up. and You think, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to watch that. So last night, I started watching the movie The Pope's Exorcist.
2: Ah, with Russell Crowe, right?
0: With Russell Crowe. I, I really liked his character, but it just got really weird. <laughs> like from the original Exorcist movie, and I just turned it off.
2: So that's equivalent to walking out of the room.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: How far in did you make it?
0: Uh, probably the first half hour. Okay, all right.
2: Just enough and for then the it got really hip.
0: bizarre. But he, his character was awesome. It was <laughs> really good.
2: That's good.
1: Our audience has been warned. Yes. <laughs> oh, my turn. So I asked, I called on a friend. We all work with a colleague, Amber. And Amber said, ooh, you're having Brad on the podcast. You should ask him, who is, <laughs> Brad's putting his head down. Who <laughs> is your favorite colleague that you've ever worked with At that... you, like asking your favorite kid?
0: Well, it would be a tie, actually. Between Mike Jones and Tiffany Snyder. Oh, I meant good to say, we're
1: good excluded.
0: Answer. These are softball questions. What? Do you, oh, this is easy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go
2: positive-negative again. So we've got uh, a question that, I guess, if anyone knows Brad, you know that he has a love for music. A lot of his questions for our guests are around music and favorite artists, favorite songs, right? What you may not know about Brad is that he often attends the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction no. ceremonies, Mm -hmm. So my question is, who's your favorite artist ever inducted, and why do you
0: think they deserved it? You mean from the the concerts I attended or just in general? You could go either way. Oh, wow. That list is so long. I don't know that I could answer that, but I'll substitute an answer. Okay. And and that is, these are annual events. We're going to the next one in October. And they induct people, and then they perform for a 10-minute segment. And one of the things that always surprises me is how much differently I feel about a group after I've seen them perform live.
2: (laughs) Interesting. I may have
0: had no interest in them whatsoever. Yeah. But when I get to see the the members of the band, their personalities, their performance, I'm immediately attracted to them. Two quick examples, Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters. Okay. I really had no feelings about, but once I saw them perform, I was like, wow, I love these guys.
2: Interesting. Interesting, great. Well, I got to get some pinnacle. So, what artist did I don't know if you get to meet him or if you're just in the audience.
0: Here's my favorite. Here's my favorite moment. Okay, and there there are some great stories. All right. One of the groups being inducted was ELO. Okay. And this was right after, within months of Chuck Berry's passing, and they opened the whole induction ceremony with this orchestra playing that Beethoven thing. And then ELO went into Roll Over Beethoven. Awesome, right? (laughs) It was amazing. But the best part of it was the person who inducted them into the Hall of Fame was Danny Harrison, George Harrison's son. Okay, And he tells a story about going to an ELO concert with his dad and they were up in a box and guy comes up, knocks on the door, invites George down to the stage to perform Roll Over Beethoven with ELO, which George actually recorded for the Beatles. Wow. The other part of the story is Danny said, I remember this so vividly because until that moment, I didn't really know what my dad did for a living. Oh, wow. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: It was amazing. Very cool. Yeah. I
2: got my money's worth out of that question. Thank you. That was Red. So
1: good. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more than you wanted.
2: Probably more than you
0: wanted.
1: Well, I could, I could do another. Uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sneak two in here. One, I just want to know for real, how many, how many pairs of glasses do you own? Ooh. Okay. And then follow up question, unrelated. We've talked a little bit as a group about this event. I think I've shared with you all Fail Fest. It used to happen in Indianapolis. I'm not sure if it still does, where people would go up on stage and share about. Some failure that they had in their career that they would learn from. That ever get you? Never heard of that. Really? <laughs> no. All right. Well, now you have. It was such a fun event in career development. We would go and just yeah celebrate what it means to be in innovation and to fail. So you know where I'm going with this. If you were at That's an right. event like Fail Fest and they said, "I nominate Brad. Come on up here. Tell us about a failure in air quotes. You know that we can all." celebrate what you learned from that what is that failure event
2: and well, now he's going to bring us up again tiffany,
1: tiffany uh, and Mike. <laughs> we're actually, out of we're
2: out of focus you can't use us
0: <laughs> yeah I, actually two hires that i've made within the last 10 years <laughs> the answer that's right This one that just popped into my head there and there are numerous <laughs> but as you, as i'm sure i'm not very fond of detail work like proofreading So I worked at an organization, and we had a monthly newsletter, and I was in charge of putting it together. And so we sent it out to about 1,500 people, and somebody called right away and said, are you aware of how many typos there are in this newsletter? It's atrocious. So I said, yes, of course we are. (laughs) And this is April, and this was an April Fool's contest. (laughs) The person who finds the most typos gets a a prize. (laughs) I love
2: it. That's, that is a great recovery of a fail.
0: <laughs> it didn't happen quite that spontaneously, but we sent out a follow-up communication announcing the typo contest, and people actually sent in numbers of typos they found. Wow, that's awesome.
1: That's a, that's a great example.
0: <laughs> and I've done lots of stupids over my, my <laughs> okay. career, lots of them.
2: I can't think of a better way to kick off a conversation about hospitality than to be that hospital to somebody that or hospitable to someone that was that hostile
1: did you say hostile that's even more hilarious is that what i
2: heard i said hospitable to someone that was so hostile
0: (laughs) those are two hard words to say in the same sentence say that 10 times right
2: well, we have okay. uh, always enjoyed working with you, Brad. And this podcast itself was part of a brainchild that you had of mm-hmm. how we could communicate with people about the intersection of technology and learning but a lot about even getting to technology. And I think in some ways technology stops hospitality if it's not used correctly. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic with you today. And we'll start with our first more serious question. That is, how did you begin down this path of inclusive hospitality?
0: It's no secret that when I started teaching online, I simply didn't like it. It was a series of responses to written communications and never really got to know the students in the class. I found it to be very painful and changed entirely for me when we started doing uh, synchronous conversations with students. That was a total game changer. So I began having weekly discussions, having office hours, having multiple Zoom sessions with students throughout the week when they were struggling with certain assignments or had questions, getting texts, all those kind of things. One particular student I remember was in a, was in a, he was having some life issues and we, we tried to work through them, but it was just overwhelming. And she finally had to drop the course, which was very sad. Right. But I got an email from her shortly thereafter, after that decision was made. And it simply said, thank you for seeing me.
2: Mm, yes.
0: And that was a kind of rocked my world a bit. I'm happy that I saw her, but it also made me think, am I seeing everyone? Yeah. And one of the, one of the dynamics, for example, is when you have... 12 students in a class and six of them show up for the weekly live discussions. Disciplining myself to also get to know the other six and create pathways for us to interact. So that that was the beginning of this whole thing for me.
2: That's
1: good. You mentioned just briefly the synchronous sessions as, as being one strategy to get to know people in the online environment, but how does this topic of inclusive hospitality really intersect with online teaching and learning?
0: I've heard students say this almost word for word, until we started doing the synchronous sessions, and and in many classes they still don't have those, and if you're listening and you're a faculty member, please start today. It makes such a difference, and they would almost say word for word, until we started doing this, I felt like I was teaching myself if you think about a a class where that doesn't occur, you're plowing through assignments one after another discussions, one after another, getting some written feedback, interacting with your classmates in a written format, but not really getting to know each other very well. That's when this whole concept of hospitality jumped out at me as a way of thinking about how to do this. Yeah.
1: And when you're, in those synchronous sessions because we have had some feedback as a team that people will okay I'll, I'll try it I'll have a synchronous session but then they'll get in there and as a faculty member and kind of freeze and think this isn't as engaging as I imagined it was going to be so are there specific strategies that you use or ways that you relate to the students to maximize that inclusive hospitality when you're in a synchronous session?
0: I, I think the, the main thing is to Remember, it's a discussion. It's not a lecture. It's not me sharing with the students how much I know. It's a discussion. So the more we can get to know the students as individuals, hey, where where are you located? What do you do for a living? I see you have kids. How many kids do you have? Those kind of things. And also sharing those things about ourselves crumbles those walls and creates a group of people who sit around and talk to each other. The complaint I hear faculty make quite often is, well, yeah, I've got 12 students in my class, and only three of them show up for the Wednesday night discussions. I'm not sure it's worth my while. Well, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I can recall one class where I had two individuals who happened to work together, who would come every Wednesday night, just the two of them. And we got to know each other so well over the, our time together. And there were the, they were the two people who needed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry for the other people who didn't show up, but we got to know each other really well.
2: That's very cool. I've, I've experienced the same, even though I don't get big numbers in those synchronous sessions, the conversations you have. And the performance of those students in the course is, is probably twice yeah. the other students with many less questions and confusion and struggle.
0: Absolutely. I like that I had a real oh, treat. I, I had a real treat this spring. I I taught the last two classes in a master's program, and then I got to meet those students face-to-face a few weeks later at graduation. It was remarkable. And were they
2: synchronous students?
0: They were there every week. Very cool. They were there every week.
2: It's almost like meeting old friends.
0: That's exactly right, as it should be.
2: So I love that these two words are together, inclusive hospitality. So when I think about hospitality, my wife is a very hospitable person. She will put cookies out. Do you want tea? Do you want coffee? Do you want very welcoming to folks? But this also adds this idea of inclusivity. And in the world that we're in now, that can have a different definition for a lot of different people. So how would you define inclusive hospitality and and what would you say the elements of that are?
0: I think it's a place where people feel safe and welcome and known as members of the group. Think about, for example, times in your life where you've done things, where you've gone into a unique situation. Examples I give are going to a worship in a faith that's different from your own, first day on a new job, mm-hmm. or going to spend the weekend with your future in-laws, <laughs> and how painful each of those can be as you walk into the room because you're not a member of the group, and you don't really know what the rules are. If that were to be a hospitable situation, someone would step forward and say, hey, let me be your guide. Let me walk alongside you during this experience. Mm. Let me teach you the rules of this setting.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think that's what faculty can do with students. Mm-hmm. Because when we come together in a new class, we're strangers. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna put out the welcome mat and then let's get to know each other.
2: Yeah, that's really good. What are some other techniques that you use in your teaching practice to be hospitable?
0: I just learned one this weekend, actually, last weekend. (laughs) I typically send out an email to students inviting them, for example, next Tuesday, I'm going to do a course overview session, first night of the class, join if you can. And what I hadn't thought about was some people will begin to accept those invitations and others will say, I'm sorry, I can't make it, blah, blah, blah. And... I had been missing an opportunity because I was able to respond to their emails, whether they said they were going to come or not, but just to create another connection with them. Hey, I'm glad you're going to be there. Oh, sorry, you can't make it. I'm going to record it. I'll put it in the So just finding different ways to make those connections. Another one that comes to mind is, and I'll tribute this to our our colleague, David Steffen, who used to work with us at Indiana Wesleyan. He created a strategy called Curiosity Conversations. For example, in this research course that I'm teaching starting next week and like week three or four, the students are required and it's point bearing to have a conversation with me. So we make an appointment, we get together and basically talk about any questions they might have. And those are questions about the course, questions about what they might be able to do when they finish. They want to know more about me. What's my background? All those kind of things. But it forces us together. And much like I used to do on the Marion campus when I was teaching there, I would have one-on-ones with students. They end up doing most of the talking.
2: Yeah, just being an ear.
1: One of the comments that was made earlier about how sometimes it's our our students that come to the optional synchronous sessions that, ultimately have higher levels of engagement or performance in a course. I've heard that actually framed as a concern of some faculty with their synchronous sessions. They'll say things like, the students that need to be here aren't here. So let's just entertain that for a second and say that it's true, but how is it that you create and bring in students that you know could use help or a guide that aren't attending the synchronous sessions? How do you cultivate hospitality there?
0: Well, here's one that was a big surprise to me. In our learning management system, when you look at the assignments that are submitted, there's a button at the top of the page that if you click on that button, it creates an email for students who haven't submitted in that assignment. It automatically creates that email. So I go in and tinker with the language in it, so it's not like a a reprimand, but more of a reminder. But imagine being a student and getting an email from your instructor saying, you didn't submit this assignment doesn't really say it that way, but right. just to get the email alone would be terrifying in some ways. They view it as, and I will typically always, that doesn't <laughs> make sense. I will, generally speaking, get a response saying, thank you for reminding me. I'll get that in tonight. Because I think what they they see in that email is, hey, somebody noticed. Yes. I'm not out here by myself. My instructor cares about me. That's the message they get. So I think you can just, even just sending out emails saying, hey, you did a great job on this assignment. Anything you can to to invite a response. Find something good they did.
1: You might've already touched on these, but what are the elements of hospitality? Like all the elements that you need to cover in order to really cultivate a space of hospitality?
0: I think uh, there are four dispositions that faculty need to have that kind of roll up into hospitality. And cleverly, I will say incredibly cleverly, the first letters of each of these spell out the word teach. Isn't that amazing? Uh, So T is for being teachable. So as faculty, we need to be learners. I say this with all the love I have in my heart, but there are many faculty in higher education who put themselves up on a pedestal and flaunt their knowledge in the classroom and want the students to know how smart they are. That's not a good way to go. It's much better to be teachable, acknowledge that you don't know everything in in your discipline and there's always something new to learn. So that's the first one. And I think that probably is one of the most important ones. That's the starting point. E stands for empathetic, especially for us as we work with adult learners they have full lives, jobs, families, community responsibilities, car payments, all kinds of things like that. And they pile on top of that a, an academic program in courses that are only five or six weeks long. So it's very compressed and they're very busy the whole time. If you miss a step, you can be in big trouble. And I have yet to teach a course where at least one student hasn't stumbled over something happening that they didn't expect. Yeah. A death in the family, a sick parent, a kid who's having difficulties, whatever it might be, demonstrating empathy in those situations, not reciting the the rules and regulations of late assignments, but rather working with the students to figure out how can we get Mm -hmm. through this? How can we make it through the the end of the course? And sometimes that includes, and I always offer this, you might want to just take an incomplete, you have an extra 10 weeks to complete this class, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? Very often, they won't take advantage of that. Okay, how are we going to do this? The A is for availability. And as I'm saying these, I'm thinking, do I know what the (laughs) other two are? A is for availability, and that is being in the course, being, as we've described in in many examples, being available to our students, being present so they know where we are. C is for consistent, and that is, I I define that as doing the small things of teaching with excellence. So... If you say you're going to return emails in, in 24 hours, make sure you do that. If you say you're going to get the assignments graded in five days, make sure you do that. Give them somebody to count on. And again, I think that builds relationships. It also builds opportunities for interactions where they know that, that you're there and they can ask their question or just have a conversation. And all of those kind of roll up into the H, which is hospitality. And that is simply creating a welcoming, safe space. And Mike, you mentioned earlier this whole idea of inclusivity. We are a faith-based institution, but at the same time we know that most of our students do not have active faith lives. They, lives, they visit us and enroll with us for entirely different reasons often. Scheduling, the major we offer, the price tag, all those kind of yeah. things there are students with lots of different lifestyles that may be counter to what we would endorse necessarily. Okay, fine. Let's get All past right. that. And that's where the hospitality comes in and the inclusive part.
2: That's awesome. Well, we had a question next is what's this mean for faculty, And I'm going to expand that because I think, We can focus on faculty or on the classroom, but we also miss some things. I'll tell a little story on this one. So somebody asked me to create a video. They wanted to create a video for their course. That was a walk through the syllabus. Well, there was a whole section of the syllabus on academic integrity, plagiarism, that type of thing. All of the language in that policy, as it was written, and he was just going to use it as a script, was um, guilty until proven innocent language, right? It was all just it was all penalty language there was nothing in there saying we don't believe that you would do this but we just want you to be aware there's just such a different a better way to say it so to me I look at that and instead of being hospitable that was a very hostile section yet if you look at any course in our catalog has a syllabus it has that same hostile language in it So I think we can look at ways to improve what we do as an institution as much as we do as faculty. I know we're focused on faculty here, so we'll take it that way. But what other ways can we be inclusive and hospitable as faculty members? And really, what's it mean?
0: Well, I I think the plagiarism example is a good one. And again, it happens quite often, maybe once in every course, maybe twice where a student Mm -hmm. does that. And I will typically send them an email saying, Just notice that a lot of your paper was not original content. But then I close with, we need to talk about this. Let's set up a time to talk. So I will set up a Zoom session. And you can tell that they're totally freaked out by this and frightened about what might be happening. And say in virtually every case, they had no idea that what Mm -hmm. they did was wrong. It wasn't an intentional trying to pull a fast one on me. And the approach that I take, policy says... Do it the first time you fail the assignment, do it the second time you fail the course, do it the third time you're out of the university. I add a a precursor to that and I say to them, why don't you do this over and we'll just treat this as a learning experience and move on. So no penalty, no point deduction, just redo the assignment in your own words. And they Mm -hmm. do. And I think they learn from that. And that's the point.
2: Yeah. There's, there are some programs that are like zero tolerance. If this assignment is missed, zero tolerance. It's a zero. I really struggle with that type of a policy at a university because it, it is yep. the opposite of
0: hospitality. One of the best things that prepared me to be a teacher was being a bad student. <laughs> I went back the other day. I was looking at my, my transcript for my illustrious college career and was appalled at how poorly I did. My first semester, I had a 1.7 GPA. I think I graduated, I didn't really know that there was such a thing as a GPA (laughs) until the last day before high school ended. And they handed out these little slips of paper that indicated that I was in the bottom third of my high school class. I didn't get much better in college. But I, I think that either consciously or unconsciously made me think about what teachers can do to help students be more successful.
2: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: And so I have a real passion for students who are struggling.
2: We see that.
1: Yeah. Brad, let's say that you create the best that you can. You lay out the welcome mat and and you have all the best intentions to create this uh, inclusive, hospitable, online learning environment and you model it. But how do you address instances where maybe peer-to-peer that's not happening. So and maybe this doesn't happen very often because you're modeling it so well and you've got the welcome mat laid out, but how does somebody facilitate a classroom and, and make sure that the inclusiveness and the hospitality is extended even from from peer to peer?
0: When you say from peer to peer, maybe what in do discussions
1: you mean? like maintaining oh. hospitable discussions where people can challenge each other but it doesn't turn hostile.
0: I haven't seen yeah. a lot of that. And one of the other things that, that surprises me about on, online courses is the level at which students are mm-hmm. transparent and will share very horrible experiences, they've had painful things that have happened in their lives and just put it out there. But then the other part of that is I see other students rallying around mm-hmm. them and being encouraging and supportive and, hey, we can do this, that, that kind of attitude. But I've also noticed that level of transparency does not occur in the synchronous Mm -hmm. sessions. So people are more comfortable writing about, invisibly almost, writing about something in their life rather than Mm -hmm. saying out loud. So I think that speaks to the advantage of having both Mm -hmm. of those available, both of those venues. But I'm always just totally amazed at how much people will share.
1: That's cool. Shifting gears, when you first shared with, with Mike and with me, that you were working on inclusive hospitality. You said that as you were just kind of feeling out this topic and beginning to explore, things really s- seemed to heat up quickly. There was an interest in this topic from conferences to publishers. Why mm-hmm. now?
0: Well, part of it I think is this whole, if I can say this correctly, this whole bit of hoopla around being woke mm-hmm. And about not doing the you know diversity, equity, and inclusion things. That's in various parts of the country gaining momentum. I think the the idea of providing hospitality and being inclusive is really accomplishing the same thing, but it's much more palatable to, to say it that way.
2: Now, how can a faculty member be more inclusive if, if you struggle with using pronouns or these types of things that are in, that exist today that are very hot topic, catch on fire real fast if they're mishandled? How do you be inclusive in a hospital without offending your own sensibilities, if you will, uh, if you're that type of person? Is it something you just avoid, or what advice would you give someone that's struggling with that?
0: Well, I've, I've had various things happen <laughs> in in some of my synchronous conversations. One student was drinking a glass of wine while we were having our, our discussion. Others have revealed things about their lives and what they believe. And I don't necessarily think it's my role to stop the discussion and tell them how, what they're doing is incorrect or this is the way you should be living or blah, blah, blah. I think those kind of conversations are built on relationships. And for me to chastise a student for some behavior or a comment, which might be outside the bounds of normal right. expectations, I don't think is a valuable exercise. I may have a private conversation with them later, just to say, just want to let you know how I mm-hmm. felt when that happened. And you might consider this, but I find students to be generally very civil to one another kind of, we're all in this together, we're all in the same boat, we're all struggling, let's make it through this. And I read recently, one of the the characteristics of a community is if you think about an online class, is when people in the class talk to one another, connect with one another Mm -hmm. outside the class. So they build those relationships in the course, but they also become supportive to one another outside the bounds of that particular course.
2: I know I've talked to faculty that are afraid of synchronous sessions. They're afraid of uh, building a relationship with a student. They're afraid of social media. There's a lot of fear in having a conversation with a student directly that's not just through text. What what advice would
0: you give them? I guess my question would be, what do you have to fear? What possibly could happen? And I I think part of that may be a personal expectation that I'm the instructor and you're the students and... Let's make a dividing line here, and everybody know what that is. Mm -hmm. I don't think that makes sense. I think the best way to go into it is we're in this together. Sure, I'm the instructor. And sure, I probably I know more than anybody else in the class about this topic, just based on my training and experience. Yeah. But why flaunt that? Why not say, let's Mm -hmm. learn together? And communicate Mm -hmm. that to them over and over again. And when you mess up, admit it. (laughs) and say, I made a mistake. I really blew that one. That, I think, actually earns mm-hmm. you points in the student's mind because you're making yourself into a human being and not just a visual, av- a virtual avatar. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think you had to give them credit, too. I remember I was teaching a post-production course and a student showed me a new way to do something in the tool we were using. And I was like, that Absolutely. was amazing. That saved like 10 <laughs> steps. And so I actually recorded mm-hmm. a video. I asked their permission, but recorded a video for the other students to say, "Hey, this student found this way to do this, and save time," and and I think that that built relationship yeah. too. Just admitting that they were better Absolutely. at that thing than I was I, that's beautiful. That
0: is I'm not a great sure where example. this fits
1: in, but I'm confident it fits in somewhere. I sent my week before a class starts email to try to begin to set that tone of of trust and, and care. In my email signature is my LinkedIn profile link. And the resource is there, so I have to know. Some people are going to click on it. They want to see who is this person. And I found it interesting. Class hasn't started. It starts next week. But I got a meeting request. I received a meeting request from a student that's going to be in the course. And she said, I looked you up on LinkedIn. I listened to your interview on Simply Why, which is another IWU podcast. I heard that you're interested in life coaching or that you have a passion for that, and so do I. Can we meet next Tuesday and talk about life coaching? And I thought – the class hasn't cool. even started, and she's been, you know, exploring who I am, what I'm interested in. Kind of a reversal there, and it was strange for the first second of processing that. But I thought, why not? Let's meet Tuesday.
0: And I think that happens much more often yeah. than we are willing to admit. If we don't put ourselves out there and tell yeah. our students who we are, they're going to mm-hmm. be able to find out who we are. So, and I've become Facebook friends with many of my students. I think that's perfectly yeah, fine. I use We're those all tools.
2: Adults and there's where that intersection of technology and hospitality when i've got a class full of students and i don't have too many students i'll i'll facebook them and see who yeah. who they are and what they sure. are into i'll check their linkedin profiles and then i use that yeah. in my conversations with them hey i, I noticed you went so, and so what would you think about doing something about this that's all ammunition in our i should say all tools like in our toolbox or yeah, must <laughs> yeah right. we'll edit that out. Those are all tools in our toolbox that we can use in relating to our students and who they are as people.
0: That's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Brad, earlier you shared the teach model for hospitality. That's just one example of your writings and work on inclusive hospitality, where can we find the work that you've done that you plan to do on the subject?
0: Well, my book will be coming out probably awesome. before the end of the year. It has been designated as a cure for insomnia. <laughs> so if you read one page a night, you'll have the best night of sleep you've ever had. I think I need to share the reason I do this. We had Yang young Zhao on okay. the podcast yes. a year or so ago. And he said, if you want to learn about a topic, write a book. And that is so true. So writing books for me is a selfish endeavor. I'll identify a topic I don't know about. And I learned so much by writing. That's the end of it for me. I don't really care if anybody <laughs> reads it. Nice if they do, but typically they won't. I learned a lot. That's awesome.
2: Now, we typically give our guests a magic wand, say if they could change anything in higher education, what would it be? So what's your magic wand
0: change? Mine would be the elimination of pedestals <laughs> in higher education. That's. That faculty would come down off of those high mountains and be on level ground with their students. Great wish. That's awesome.
1: Level ground sounding very familiar. I think there's another publication out there that starts with level ground.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Well, you say, you know, you wrote a book to learn more about the topic, but I'm, I'm sure, uh, I hope that when you were learning about it, it was just very affirming for the way that you've been teaching and relating to students for decades. So thank you yes. for just putting it in writing.
0: My pleasure. And as always, it's a great privilege to be on the Digital <laughs> to Learn podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. He
2: listens every
0: six months or so.
1: Yeah, that humble yeah. podcast. We have
0: a- I will say I, I don't necessarily listen, but I, I <laughs> have every yeah. one of your podcasts. Uh-huh.
1: Well, we will be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast with Brad Garner as co-host. Unless he's fired, we haven't decided. Or if Mike just did a better job, Mike can stay.
2: can stay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Maybe I'm getting true. fired. I don't know. True. This
1: is too much. In the meantime, it would be great if you would share to this podcast with colleagues and friends like the episodes and help us build this network of educators who care about the future of digital teaching and learning we'll see you next week
2: take care thanks brad thank you
0: thank you for joining us on digital to learn
1: if you enjoyed this podcast there are three things we ask you to do one come back and join us again two tell your friends about us and three give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform
0: Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future.
1: Always keep learning.